All right, y'all, here we go with another edition of the Russell Smith Podcast. As I said before the Todd Howell episode, I'm hoping to branch out with this and talk to some non-sports related figures, and I got a couple of interesting ideas that I'm working on. As always, if you've got an idea for the pod, someone you think would be good to hear from, you can let me know via email. I'm at Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L, at SportsRadioKnoxville.com. And would love to hear from you, love to hear your suggestions. Today, we'll be talking to Knoxville's top cop, Eve Thomas. Eve was sworn in as chief of police in June of 2018. She's the first female police chief of the KPD. A native of the Chicago area, she moved with her family to Knoxville at a young age and has over 25 years experience now with the police department. We talked about what her job entails and how she got there, and we hit on a few of the big issues facing the KPD, both short and long term, as well as issues facing police departments nationwide. Here's my conversation with Knoxville Chief of Police, Eve Thomas. All right, we're here with the first female police chief in the history of the Knoxville Police Department, Eve Thomas. Chief Thomas, it's great to meet you. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate being here. This is great. Great opportunity for me as well. Yeah, I guess when your parents name you Eve, you're destined to be the first something or other. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not not the first time you've heard that, I'm sure. No, no, no not at all. But, so, simple question to start off with. What does chief mean? What do you do? What is the police chief do- job description? Wow, that's that's a that is a very good question because I thought in the beginning, of course, when you're out on the street as a patrol officer, you look at the chief and all the command staff as being up there making these decisions, and you think they don't know what's going on out here. Um, and so as I've moved through the ranks and, and moved up in positions, I've realized I, I really didn't understand what the whole thing about being a chief Gained a is new all respect about. for the position, huh? Right, right. So there's a whole lot that goes on. I mean, I'm responsible for every officer and every civilian employee in the department and what they do each day. Uh, so, you know, training is a big thing for me. we got to make sure we're doing the right thing at the right time and, and uh, everybody's holding each other accountable. So do you, are, are the officers out there on the beat now looking up to up here and saying, ah, Chief Thomas, she doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> I hope not. The wind, blows, <laughs> the wind blows hardest at the top of the flagpoles. It does, uh, yeah. What they say. Yeah. Okay, so um, it's been just over a year since you were sworn in. three days, yeah. <laughs> I was keeping track though, yeah, right? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Hoot, uh, how's it going? It's going really well. It's it's there's a lot of things. It takes time. Uh, you know, hard to hard to turn a ship. I guess is is a good acronym. Um, but it, it a lot of decisions that take a while. You have to be very thoughtful about things you do. And I didn't realize you know, you can't be off the cuff on on making some yeah. big decisions. So uh, we've done a lot of really cool stuff and and you know made some. Uh, when we had talked about doing the no shave November a couple of years in a row and it hadn't happened so I let the guys do it this year and we you know we were very thoughtful about how we did it uh, you know you had to have a well-groomed beard but I didn't realize how much something that small meant to all the male officers who wanted to grow beards and so that was a really neat experience and we we made a lot of money for some very good charities so things like that that have come along that have really made a difference that i didn't realize you talk about some of the hard decisions what's what's the hardest decision you've had to make the first year well you know any disciplinary action is tough it's really tough because you talk about discipline on uh on officers. employees yeah. yes any of those those kind of things are really tough because we train as best we can we have policies and procedures to follow and you realize, though, how much out on the street is, is subjective mm-hmm. and how much when you're in a situation and, and we have discretion. Officers have a lot of discretion. We ha- It has to be that way. 
we can't write a policy for every single situation. So it's, it's you know, when there's a clear cut, you really did something wrong, it's a little easier, but then it's hard to understand why would you do that knowing that this policy is in place. So discipline is hard. Well, there's so much attention on uh, police disciplinary issues is. nationally. Uh, you have to be aware of that, don't you? Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and you know, we hold each other accountable. And, and, and that's important. It's important that, you know, by the time it gets to me, I'm hoping that somebody else has looked at it. And, and normally that's the way it goes. Um, you know, we have the Police Advisory Review, Review Committee as well, PARC, what we call PARC. Uh, who reviews all the decisions that we make as well. And so, you know, we get questions from them. Why do you, why did you handle things a certain way? And so we're able to answer those questions. Who, who makes up that? The park, the park commission. Yeah. Uh, they're actually appointed by the mayor okay. and the executive director is employed by the city, by the mayor. Is it just regular civilians, non-police? It is. Okay. It is. Yeah. There's no police officers. Uh, bunch of issues uh like to get into here well, let's okay. back up to the uh beginning i see you're, you're from the chicago area i am i grew up in a little town called hanover park outside of chicago okay yeah. uh i was just up there for the first time about a month ago recording this late june 2019 wow. and uh that you know the Obviously, one uh, third biggest city I think in America now, third or fourth, yeah, something third like or that. Fourth. Um, that that's got uh, their their whole own set of issues. That's another world from in the police world. It, it isn't sure it? is. Yeah. And you know, I left there when I was twelve, so now understanding what those issues are and going back, I love to go back and visit. In fact, I was there about a week and a half ago for some training. Okay. Um, and, and you know the culture, they have a lot of museums, a lot of things yeah. up there to do. But you know, raising your family up there is a, a whole different scenario that uh, you know i'm glad to be here and raising my family here so so you're still doing training even now that uh, you're at the the top of the food chain so to speak in knoxville i am life lifelong learner i think if you ever stop learning you're you're really in trouble what, so. what, what kind of things do you train on well that was actually uh some succession planning trying to you know how do we best prepare our young officers to take okay. my position and take over huh. other positions within a department that's really important that you have people in place that they're ready to go so were you a Cubs fan or a Sox fan growing up? Both, actually, more Cubs. But uh, okay. you know, Wrigley Park got when Wrigley Field got the uh, lights in, it kind of disappointed me. <laughs> so, really, that was yeah. uh, a break with tradition, huh? It was. It was that it late was. '80s, I think, for that yeah, All Star game? Been a while. It's been yeah. a while, but that hurt. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you mentioned you, you know growing up in Chicago. What attracted you initially to a career in law enforcement? Well, actually, kind of interestingly enough, you know, I, I had toyed with the idea of a little bit, but then my brother, when I, I was actually in retail management, out of college and in retail management, and uh, my younger brother said, hey, I want to go put in an application at the police department. Will you go with me? And I said, sure. Well, I, is this in Illinois? No, this is here. Yeah, I oh, moved here Oxford. when I was 12. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so, so you've been here for- I've been here a long time. Yeah, most yeah. of your life. Yeah, a long time. And, uh, you know, we both came up, and I ended up making it through the process, and he didn't. And it's uh, been my niche. It, it's been, uh, you know, I can learn all, I've been through all the different ranks and, and worked pretty much everywhere in the police department, except the one place I really regret, budget. So as I've dealt through the budget this year, it's been a, a learning experience. Eye opener. You just didn't have much experience in that. Did not. No. No. So that's been that's been good. You know how do you how do you ask for money? What's important? You know, sure. What, you know, of course, most of our most of our budget goes to personnel, but we do have you know things we need to have. Technology is expensive, um, but is is our police department well funded? In your opinion. I think we are between, you know, the city and, and the mayor getting us what we need. And we also have access to grants. We have a grants manager that works with us. So, you know, there's a lot of grants out there and she helps us with some of that stuff. So uh, between those two things, yeah. 
what's what's on your wish list is it more uh is it equipment or personnel my, my wish list right now, for sure, is personnel. That's one of my goals, and we've been working really hard with recruiting. You know, it, it's a problem across the nation for police departments as far as uh, recruiting personnel. Uh, and so that's 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 top of my list. I, I was at the mayor's uh, State of the City address a couple of months ago, and one of the things she talked about was, was uh, the, the recruitment issues. And evidently, you've got a lot of older officers are retiring, right. but then a lot of middle-aged officers with the economy doing well – are leaving the force to go into the private sector seems to me like that creates first of all just a shortage of of, of people to to do the work but also a, a, seems like it would create a, an age gap there too oh there yeah for sure i mean we have we have a lot of young folks uh and that's why training is so important uh, you know you take a, a 20 30 year old uh person who has uh, it's all this discretion and the ability to you know arrest somebody to take somebody's freedom from them uh, that's a huge responsibility i'm 38 so. i that I, yeah. I don't need that responsibility <laughs> <laughs> it's tough when you finally you sit in that car for the first time on your own after all the training and it's about a year's worth of training by the time we finish between you know the academy and the field training officer program where you're paired with somebody but even at that point i can still remember sitting in that car for the first time by myself going okay <laughs> you know that is uh that that's an interesting thought i hadn't thought about that the yeah. first time that they turn you loose in the car with the badge and gun. That's got to be an overwhelming sense of responsibility. It is. but you, and, and as I said, even we get a lot of academy training. We do a lot of scenario training in the academy. And then you're paired with a field training officer mm-hmm. uh, for, the, for the next 18 weeks after the academy. So it's quite a long period that you, to get comfortable. But it's still that first time you sit in that car on your own. And, and, and this is mine now. My beat, my people I'm responsible for keeping safe. You know, and keeping law and order in this in this one area is it's uh, it's it's a tremendous responsibility. How many patrol officers are out there right now? We have three hundred and seventy nine out there right now. Uh, we're authorized. Our authorized strength is actually four sixteen, so we're below. So that's why recruit, recruitment is a huge issue. Mentioned you you came to Knoxville at the age of twelve. Where'd you go to school? I actually went to Lenore City for middle All school, right. and I graduated from Farragut High School. Oh, and she's an admiral. Yeah. Okay, and, yeah. and the, you went to UT? I did go to UT. I got my BA in psychology at UT, and then I got a master's uh, from Long Island University uh, a few years ago in uh, Homeland Security. So, so you went up to New York for that? No, I actually did that online. Oh, okay. Which is, uh, I, I, it's... A lot more than I thought it was going to be. A lot of responsibility. The onus is on the student to do a whole sure. lot of reading on an online degree, but it was good. Sure. It was very timely. And uh, you, so your brother is going to go down and put in an application with the KPD, and you're, ah, I'll tag along. And yeah. uh, that was what, 25 years ago? And, 26 and a half, yes. <laughs> okay. So what, what was it like at first for a female police officer in, in those days? Was that... A difficult transition? You know, I'm very fortunate because I'm not one of the first. Um, it, it, there are so many that had been before me, so uh, I think we were pretty much accepted, you know, as, as being there. It's still a little different. I mean, you know, if I called for help, the guys came a little quicker, I think, you know, and, and, and backed me up, which I would never turn that down. Sure. I appreciate that. Um, but I think here in Knoxville, we were pretty progressive at that time. That was 1993. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I hear stories from, from some of the folks who, you know, I had a lieutenant, Lieutenant Webb, who uh, came on in the 70s and was required to wear a skirt and pumps and, you know, carry your gun in your purse. And I just can't imagine that. You know. 
pumps and oh, yeah. doing police work. Yeah. That seems so uh, just counterintuitive. It does. It does. <laughs> I just can't imagine that. So, so. so did you go through that whole training process that you mentioned too? I mean, was it more or less the same back then? Uh, well, the length was probably even a little bit longer. I think we had 20, no, I take that back. We had 22, 24 weeks and then 16 weeks of that field training officer program. So it was, it was almost a year before I got out on my own. So when you get out on your own, I mean, how is that just, I would imagine that's the big learning experience is out there on your own, learning how to do it uh, without, I'm sure, you know, you get help from your coworkers, sure. but it's when they and take the training wheels off and send you out there on your own, I'd imagine that is a huge learning experience. It is, but you know, you got your radio on your hip, you've got, you know, we, we back each other up on calls. Uh, a lot of calls are two-person calls, but you know, in traffic stops, we're always going by and checking on each other. So there's help out there. It's not, you're not truly on your own, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's a tremendous responsibility. What, what's the... What consumes most of your time when you're doing that, when you're a police officer driving around patrolling your area? Well, you know, there's there's calls for service, which we answer, you know, 300,000 a year. Uh, so there's there's quite a few of those that you're you're tied to your radio for sure, because we're the first line there. You know, when somebody calls 911, we, need, we respond. Um, of course, then we're always watching traffic laws. We do what we call directed patrols. If there's an issue in a certain area of our beat, we will do, you know, traffic enforcement, crime enforcement. If we're having um, burglaries in a certain area, we'll work on that in any spare time we have. Um, you know, we have to take police reports, crime reports. So it varies every day. That's one thing. If you like a lot of, if you like a lot of diversity, we're, it's, this is the job for you. So would you say it, it's m- mostly helping uh, protecting and serving versus criminal apprehension or prevention what you know i'm not sure what the terminology is mix of everything you've talked about it's you know because we get we go to a lot of community meetings to find out what's on the minds of our community you know what the perception is reality we Mm -hmm. find that out very quickly because i i learned early on i could go to a community meeting on my beat and say hey we had a 13 percent reduction in property crimes but if you're sitting in the audience and your car just got broken into, that doesn't mean anything to you. You're mad. Sure. I mean, that's your property crime. So I learned early on we've got to focus on what's important to the people that we're working for that are in our community. So how long were you out there on the on the street doing your patrol work before you started to climb the ladder, so to speak? Wow. Um, I think four or five years. And then I actually started, uh, I joined the recruitment team. So okay. I had a, an interest in that and getting, you know, helping to get more officers and well-qualified officers in, did that. I actually came into the, what we call coming into the building and worked on accreditation, kind of like schools are accredited. Police, police agencies can be accredited through what we call CALEA, the Commission on Accreditation for Law Enforcement Agencies, um, and worked on that. So that was a lot of policy and procedure work which was it was good for me at that time and then I got promoted to sergeant and went back out to the street so each time you promote up you go back out and do patrol work because that's our that's our backbone okay what what's different about being a, a sergeant what what is the rank when you're first out there is that just police officer? officer okay what what's how is it different going out as a sergeant well as a sergeant now you're responsible for for your squad of six eight ten people however many are on your squad but those are those guys are looking up to you to make those decisions if they have a question about a situation that they have if they you know you give them their assignments you're responsible for seeing what's important of uh, each day on your beat you know and and, and and all those beats in the city and you know putting people to where they need to be and making sure those questions are answered 
So uh, a sergeant's responsible for six, seven uh, other officers. What, how many sergeants do we have out there? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think we're, <laughs> I'm not good at division. <laughs> yeah, I know it was 380 yeah, I didn't bring everything with me. Uh, you, somewhere between 50 and 60. Okay. Uh, probably be a good idea to, to explain how, how our city works, if that's okay. Our city's actually divided in half. We have the east sector and the west sector, east district, west district. Now, we, our squads work what's called a 4-3 schedule. They, they work four days on, three days off. And so we have six squads, and three of the, they're, they're, they're divided up between the east and the west districts. And so on each squad is, is between 10 and 12 officers. Where, where's the east and west like dividing 275 line? 275 is probably the dividing line. Okay. Uh, most, of, most of the south, south of the river, Chapman Highway, is, is considered east district as well. Okay. So yeah, the the Alcoa Highway area is considered West District. So we kind of use 275 as a dividing line. Um, and so on those squads, there's generally 10 to 12 officers in each district. And for there's two sergeants on a, two sergeants on a squad and one lieutenant. So that that kind of gives you some supervision over all of those folks. So we we like that supervision. We like for a sergeant not to have more than you know six eight officers because it's it's hard to supervise a whole lot of people. Okay, and and during that, you know, you're leading meetings or, or whatever, and then and then you're actually out there on the beat too. You are. Did yeah. you like that after doing some more administration type work, getting back out on the street? It was it was hard because my whole world became that squad of officers. Rather than seeing an overview of the whole department uh-huh. and seeing how policy and procedure went into effect and how each each part of the department worked, but that was good for me in the long run because I had that knowledge. But I was able, and I was able to bring that knowledge back to the squad. Uh, that not everybody had is to you know here's why this policy is in place and and I had a pretty good working knowledge of all our policy and procedures at that point so it was good it was a good move so you, you get out there and you're a sergeant and you're, you're starting to ascend the ladder a little bit now at what point did did you ever start think about I mean was was the becoming chief ever on the oh, no. radar never it was never on the radar and it's kind of interesting because each each supervision each each ladder rung that i went up when i went from sergeant to lieutenant lieutenant to captain captain to deputy chief and then on to chief at each point the reason i really wanted to promote was because i saw if i had a little more responsibility i could make it a little bit more difference to the guys on the street and that's that's been one of my main focuses as chief is when you really need to listen to the folks doing the job what do you need not here's how we need to do here's how you need to do your job and Mm -hmm. we have to do that to a to a degree but you know, what is it that I can do for you to help you do your job more effectively and efficiently? And so that's that's been important to me. So each rung of that ladder was I could do a little bit more of that. And it's kind of interesting. I did a did a class uh, at a women's leadership conference a few weeks ago. And, and after class, one of the women came up to me and she said, she said, how did you know when you were ready to be a chief? And I said, I really didn't. I said, I had some very good friends around me, other officers and, and, and supervisors who came to me and said, you need to put in for chief. And so that 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 was how I made that decision. It was it was, it was I felt like the department and the city had invested in uh-huh. me, and it was my time to give back. And the uh, chief was it Roush was it before mm-hmm. you? Uh, so you were, were was it sergeant and then chief, or was there another step? Oh no on? no yeah sergeant and then you go to lieutenant, uh-huh. then to captain, okay, then to deputy chief and then to chief. Oh so so there's a there's a, a long there's a time progression in there. Okay. There's a career ladder. Yes. What. What did uh, you learn? What's the difference going from sergeant to lieutenant? Well, when you go to lieutenant, you gain a little bit more responsibility okay. each time, but you're also a little bit further from the beat officers. 
from those patrol okay. officers. And so you got to keep in mind who you're who you're really out there serving. You know, you've got you're serving your community, but you're also wanting it to make wanting those beat officers to be able to do their job more effectively. Mm-hmm. And you become a little bit more removed because your responsibilities become more administrative rather than mechanical. So. so as you're as you're climbing this ladder and you know you're working with Chief Roush closer and closer, um, you mentioned you, what, at what point did you start to think, yeah, you know, that might be something for me down the line. Um, oh, wow. or was it not until he was getting set to retire? Or well, move, no, or move? he yeah. and I actually came on in the same academy. Okay, so that was you know. It's so been, you know, you knew him from the beginning. Oh yes, okay. from the very beginning. In fact, he was our, our class president, and in the academy, he said, "I'm going to be chief one day, either here or somewhere else." And of course, most of us laughed, but uh-huh. he did. He was very deliberate in each position that he went to, and he had that goal. My my progression is a little bit more of a zigzag, uh, a little bit more. Um, I never had that goal of really being a chief. Um, my goal was always, can I make things a little bit better? So depending on what position I was in, you know, I always wanted to be able to make things a little bit better. So you know, it's kind of interesting the way it all ended up for me. And it's been good, and I'm, I'm thankful and I'm proud. So when you say you had to put in for chief, you is it an yeah. application process, interviews, and the whole you nine had yards? had to interview with the okay. mayor, yeah. Had to, had to apply and show interest and, and, and have that interview and answer a lot of tough questions. And, and it was... Uh, I can't say it was it was a grueling process just because you're you're putting your whole career on the line. You're uh-huh. you're trying to show what you've done and how uh, what you've done and with your life and how you, you would be able to make a difference to the for the city and how you'd be able to lead this huge department of people, sure. you know, to do the right things. So you're interviewing with Mayor Harrell. Yes. And uh, you know, what what is that like? What what are the tough questions she's asking you? Oh my gosh! Uh, you know, it's kind of like a big test when you walk out. You're like, "Thank God, that's over! I can't remember all the things." I do. Was remember. Probably, was it a series of interviews, or was it just one big one that you had to prepare? There was for? one big one, and uh-huh. then a follow up. How long was the interview? You know, I can't even remember. I'm sure it was at least an hour. At least, um, quite quite a while, quite a while. But she made me very comfortable. Okay. Um, but it was, you know, it was, you know, why have you done this? A lot, you know, I have I had some disciplinary issues in my career, and and talked about some of those, and you know why decisions were made, and and what I've learned. Um, she went through my background file that I that I filled out when I first came on 26 and a half years ago. And she asked questions about that, which really surprised me. So she was very diligent in her, in her interview. Disciplinary issues must not have been too serious if you got the job. Right. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, you know, people say bumps in the road course at the time, they, they hurt, they hurt because you know, you make a bad decision or something bad happens and you, you've got to learn from that. Yeah. And that's why, you know, when you asked about, you know, education and continuing to train, you've got to be a lifelong learner. Yeah. got to be because things are happening so fast now it, um obviously uh mayor o'hara she's the first female mayor, mayor yes. of knoxville yes. um your first female police chief is there a, a connection there between the two of you you think because of that it's kind of cool yeah <laughs> it's really kind of cool yeah I, you know and, and she she i really appreciate that when she did promote me and appoint me she said it wasn't because i was female that I was the most qualified. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that she said that because that, that was important to me. And I've been introduced at different places and, and people have told me, uh, hey, I forgot to say you were the first female. And and that kind of makes me feel good. You know, being the first female is kind of like icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it's kind of a cool thing, but it's most important to me to, that people realize and, and appreciate that I, I'm qualified and I can do the job. So it's come a long way from women wearing skirts and pumps for sure. Uh, <laughs> for sure. on the beat here locally. So what are some of the major I- issues now that, again, you're a, a year into the job? Mm-hmm. 
What are, in your opinion, some of the major issues? You mentioned recruitment, uh, other issues facing the KPD. Well, you know, of course, recruitment's the biggest thing. You know, we've got to have officers, well-qualified officers in here. And, and so that's that's hard, is, is finding those people, especially in a good economy, because there's a lot of jobs out there. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, you know, the mayor did make it a little bit easier in her budget. She, she upped the starting pay, which was great. Uh, we are actually working on, you know, how do we brand ourselves? We've never had to do that. Hmm. We've always had so many. When I came on, we had probably 12, 1,300 applicants for 35 positions. So now we're down to, you know, 120 applicants. Uh, and, and a lot of those really aren't as qualified as they need to be or their backgrounds aren't, aren't what they need to be. So we got to figure out how do we interest people in this field. And, and we're working on that. We've got some, some neat ideas. You know, we do ride-alongs. We've got a couple of guys that we've got assigned to recruitment coming up with some, some good ideas. You know, and, and so that's important. Uh, the other thing that's important to me is, is making sure that the officers on the street, the officers have what they need to do the job. So, you know, we're, we're getting new laptops this year that we can, you know, we do more with, do more research on, you know, get, we're having a cell phone that's a companion to that laptop so we can be out in the field and start the report on that cell phone. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of technology issues, you know, cameras in the cars and, you know, we're under a microscope. Everything you do, you know, is on, is on tape now. So uh, a lot of technology things that we're trying to keep up with, you know, uh, and, and it's, it's hard to keep up with the bad guys sometimes. Yeah. Do, do you feel like, and you mentioned the, there are cameras everywhere in society now, the police officers are wearing body cameras. Do you feel like that is a deterrent in recruitment because so many people are, they don't want everything that mm-hmm. they do to be recorded. And it's not necessarily about, you know, if there's some uh, violent altercation out there, but uh, you know, just people don't want their. Eh, I'm going to Starbucks to get a cup of coffee. I don't want that on on uh, camera somewhere. Right. Yeah. And, and we we right now we don't have the body cameras. We've got the in car okay. cameras. Um, at some point we may get the body cameras. I think officers now are just used to that. Uh huh. Um, I think it's just expected. I don't. I, we don't. You know. I don't. I don't. When we talk to people who are potential police officers, that really doesn't come up. Okay. which is surprising to me. And I guess it's because I came on with no cameras in the cars and no cameras on you. That started here in 1999. So um, it was, you know, I was into my career. So it was hard for me to remember, hey, I got to turn on that mic you know, and, and things like that. But these officers are so used to, that's just the way we do business. Uh, I, maybe it's a generational thing where uh, younger folks just come up with, uh, you know, they've they've had cameras everywhere all their lives and they don't think twice about it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's amazing. You talk about recruitment and, you know, we all think about job fairs and you've got the the table with the the banner on it and people talk, you know, but are there other things you like, how do you, how do you go find uh, competent, well-trained additions to the police force? Yeah, well, we have, we have a Citizens Police Academy. We work with the city on different initiatives at Save Our Sons Summit, you know, where we, we, uh, we, so we, that's one of our, you know, we have a uh, Explorer program. Uh, through the Boy Scouts. So we also have a cadet program. So you can be a cadet uh, and go to school and work here and see if this is your niche. Uh, We go out to military bases. Uh, People coming out of the military sometimes uh, want a a career in law Mm -hmm. enforcement. Um, We uh, go to criminal justice classes in schools and guest speak and do things like that in in schools and and colleges. So anything that we can think of, we're out there doing. I mean, we we get on Twitter, we get on Facebook and, and try and promote everything we do and say, hey, if you have an interest in this, here's a number to call. You know, we did the, um, the lip sync challenge. That was one of the very first things in my career that one of the, one of the guys came up and asked me, one of our sergeants said, hey, can we do this? And I said, 
you know, I'm in my 50s. This is just weird. I, I, I don't know. This doesn't, you know, there's a little bit of decorum to being a police officer. Uh-huh. I'm not sure about this. And I, he, he played the song for me. And I was like, okay. And, I, you know, we got millions of hits on that. And I hate. I haven't it. seen this. Is this you lip syncing? No, 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 no. It's one of no? our officers. Yeah, okay. it's one of our officers. Um, but where, can, got, where is this on YouTube or somewhere out it there? It was on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, we put it out. It's been a year ago, but it, it amazed me how many people looked at that, mm-hmm. and I felt like that was a, a miss on recruitment. If we could have at the end of that said, "Hey, if you want to, you know, come join us. This is a, a job for you. If you see, you like what you see, you know, something that we could a little blurb at the end." So I realized at that point, but the power of social media as well. Well, it, it seems like, uh, you know, when when people hear, you know, police issues, what's the biggest police issues, they'll immediately, immediately go to police brutality or uh, profiling issues, relations with minority communities. It seems like that we've been pretty lucky here in Knoxville. We haven't had, uh, to my knowledge, any major, you know, nas- stories, incidents that went national or anything like that. Do you think that... Uh, that's because the KPD is doing a really good job as far as uh, community relations with minorities are concerned, or do you think it's luck? I think, well, I think it's a combination. I okay. think that's a tenuous relationship. You know, we, we reach out to our minority community all the time. We, we attend community meetings. We, we want to listen. You know, park is a, is a big thing. Uh, you know, with the police advisory, we have some minority com- people in our minority communities uh, on that. Uh, we do diversity training in our academy uh, and throughout our careers. We talk about that. And, and, and one interesting thing that came up in the, in the training I was at in Chicago was diversity of thought. And I like that that term because i thought you know we can have diversity within the department which we want we we strive to have our department look like our community but all of our officers have to have that diversity of thought and understand that so i it's a tenuous relationship we got to keep trying we can't say hey we're there uh, because we're not we, we're one instant away from from having something bad happen so we keep learning and keep trying what is diversity of thought i think that is where you understand or you tr- you make an effort to understand Everybody in your community. Where they're coming from. Yeah, whether they be LGBTQ or whether they be uh, African-American, whether they be Chinese, whether they whatever. You know, we've got to we try to understand that culture. And, and, you know, we may not be able to fit in, but at least we can understand. For example, when I first came on, I went to a domestic call uh, and, and it was a Middle Eastern family. And I remembered from my training that females are not highly regarded in that culture so i kind of hung back i made sure nothing was going on but when my male counterpart got there and so sometimes you have to understand that to be able to handle a situation effectively you know i could have been heavy-handed and went in there and started going off and saying no you need to separate you need to be over here telling that 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 male that male person who was who was involved you know and and done my job and still been correct in the Uh way i did it but it would have caused more conflict so with that understanding of how things work and being able to slow a situation down and wait and then, you know, have, explain and understand their culture, I think we were more effective. Uh, may, maybe a silly question. If, you know, you've got um, the East and, and West divisions of the department, is there a coveted beat or section to, to be in amongst officers or is that just different depending on the individual officer that's probably it probably is different depending on the individual officer you know we used to think that that the west district was more uh traffic related a lot of crashes and but not so i think they're pretty evenly the issues are pretty evenly distributed now amongst both both districts and all beats so it's each each community is a little bit different but 
you know, we all have the same problems for the most part. Is, is there a consensus on what the hardest part of being a police officer is? I think it's that balance, you know, balancing your personal time and, and, and your work time. And, you know, you, you get you get so invested in your career because it's one of those things when you make a difference in somebody's life, you feel really good about it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're able to help somebody out, it's something that makes you feel really good. And so especially as young officers, we want to work all the time. You know, we want that overtime. We want to go out and work all the time. And, you know, you've got to balance your personal life with that. You still have to have a life outside police work. And I think that's hard to learn early on. Although I think our youngest officers now are doing better at that because they don't want the overtime. They want their personal time. So I I would think just on the outside looking in that the the danger aspect of it would would be the 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 biggest worry. Um, Is it a situation where you just look at statistically? I mean, I don't think we have many shootings here at all. I mean, it's it's a big deal whenever an officer has to fire their gun. I mean, that's front page news. So that is it. Just since that's so rare and such a small part of the job, is that something that is not really worried about as much as we might think? Actually, it's it's the total opposite. We worry about that all the time, Uh and I think that's what makes us better. We train all the time for that worst case scenario. How do we keep that from happening? What can we do to keep you know something from escalating to that point whenever we can? Uh, for example, crisis intervention training. All of our officers have been through a familiarization with, with people in mental crisis. Um, and we have officers who are actually uh, certified that we can call when we have a person who's, who's obviously in some type of mental crisis. And rather than try and use force with that person, can we back up, calm them down a little bit and mm-hmm. have somebody come talk to them? So there's there's a lot of value in, in understanding and, and learning because we want to avoid that worst case scenario. But we, that's what we prepare for tactically. You know, we train all the time for, you know, what happens if somebody points a gun at me? What do I need to do? Where do I, you know, you know, we, we train all the time for the worst case scenario. Growing up, uh, when you talk about force, it was uh, officers. Of course, they had a gun and they had the billy club. And that was it. Now it seems like there are these different levels. You've got the tasers, you've got the, the pepper spray, uh, maybe other things that I'm not aware of. What, how do you, what are those levels of, is that just up to the officer? Is that you, you use this first and if that doesn't work, you use this and, you know, the gun is the last choice? There is a progression. We have a use of force policy and how we, you know, of course, officer presence, your, your very presence is a force. Um, and so that's our first level of use of force. But then we, we do, you know, it, it's dependent on the reaction we get from the person we're dealing with. I mean, there may be, you know, we go to pepper spray first if we're getting some, some resistance. Uh, it may just be an empty hand soft where we can just grab their hand and say and redirect their actions. Um, but, you know, if they come out with a gun, then it goes all the way to deadly force. So it's really dependent. And that's what we train on is here are these different tools that you have on your tool belt to use. But remember that, you know, it's, it's dependent on the resistance that you get. Well, and it, it just seems to me that people talk about, you know, b- police using force. Did they use too much? You know, not just KPD, but nationally. And, you know, what you, what you just said, that that's so much to think about yes. when in a maybe just a matter of a, a split second, you know, do I use this, this or this in this situation? That is um, 
that's a that, that that's a, a a big decision process uh, i guess it's it's, it is it's difficult. It is, and that's, that's why we train so much on it, and we train to be proficient with each, with each of those tools, so that we, you know, we're well aware of what we have. For example, you know, if we're going to use a taser, we always make sure we've got somebody with with deadly force. If we're using a taser against somebody mm. with, you know, a knife or a gun, or so we want. So make an officer sure. can't use the taser just by themselves. They have to have somebody. No, back we, up. we can. The preferred method is to have a backup okay. with you, but no, we we definitely can. We okay. can use the taser. Yeah, any of our tools. But do you have statistics on, on how often force is used in, in the KPD? We do, and I, it's actually, it's public record. We have an, uh, an open records page on our website, okay. and you can look at this year's, this past huh. year's, all the way back. Uh, so I think we go back six or seven years. Uh, so, you, yeah, we have that open for inspection. You know, we have a bias-based policing report showing, you know, how many traffic stops we've made in relation to the makeup of our community. So, are you comfortable with where those numbers are at, or do I, we need to be doing better? We can always do better. Uh, okay. I never want to say we're, sure. we're where we need to be. Um, but the important thing, I think, is that we look at them, we take all those into account, and we and we try to train to what we're missing. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, if you look at our uh, response to resistance report, which our annual report um, last year, we talked about pepper spray may have been able to be utilized a little more often. We seem it seems to be underutilized in certain situations. So we analyze each of those times we use force. Uh, and, and I don't want to give you numbers somewhere between, I think it was 130, 140 times last year in over 11,000 arrests. Uh, that's not even contacts with the public, but 11,000 arrests. So, you know, you're looking at what, less than 1% yeah, so that, of the that's, time do we actually use any kind of force. Yeah. So, so that, that's like not even uh, every other day but, on, on average. You're right. But we look at each time, it, you know, there's a, a whole review process that goes on and we look at how we could do better. Did we do it right? And we learn from that. And each year we have we have an in-service training each year and we talk about that. And what can we change in our training to make us better? We're uh, recording this on the last Friday in June 2019. On Monday, the the new state, you know, (laughs) you know, the The hands free uh, phone law. It just speaking personally, this is going to be very difficult for me i've uh, we were talking on a radio show yesterday that the odds are pretty good that i might get a ticket before the end of the year um that seems like a pretty big deal how's the department preparing for that well you know we of course we've trained everybody we're well aware of the law um and it is a big deal it it's distracted driving is a huge sure. thing now and it's you know as i get older i'm um you're not proficient at it and and you know even police officers we have the the monitors the mdts in our cars showing us where what call we're going to we have the radio going all the time you know back and forth with dispatch and we're still trying to drive and look for suspects and see what's going on as we're driving uh and so we're distracted on a, on a constant basis and we train on that but it's still difficult so when you're looking at a phone you're you're manually you know you're not looking at the the street if you're using the phone your dexterity is not where it should be you know you're you're actually thinking looking and, and doing something else other than driving and with all the people on the road now i can tell you what you know i'm in my 50s now when i was 16 i can remember driving home after working a shift at a, at a, at a local restaurant and not seeing another car on the road on kingston pike at midnight and that's just not the case now there's so many more people on the road and, and there's no room for error so it's it is important, uh, and it, but it's hard. And, and I've, I've a friend of mine actually said that law discriminates against people who have older cars. And I said, what? And it's because there's not the Bluetooth in older cars okay. that you can use, you know, to, to, to do the hands free. Yeah. So. No, I don't. I don't have one in my car. Um, it, it, it. You're right, though. I mean, you drive just on the way over here on on I-40. You just glance around, and it seems like 
every other person you look at, uh, you see, uh, maybe exaggerating a little bit, but not much. No, is, is looking at their phone. Yeah, on the interstate. Yeah, it's tough, you know. And and you've got GPS on your yeah. phones now too. So there's you know and people you know. But if you're trying to manipulate that GPS rather than just looking at it as far as you know where am I going or using the voice activated. So what? Um, I mean, what's the procedure? Uh, your officers basically just. Looking, if they see somebody glancing down, they pull them over. Well, I think it. Yeah, we technically we could do that because you're not allowed to get very technical. You can't support that phone even in your lap. You're supporting it with a part of your body, which is illegal. So that technically is wrong. Are we able to see that? You know, unless we're sitting up a little bit higher, we have some SUVs. Uh, you know, when we've done things with the state, we've used buses, we've used tractor trailers, so that we can look down on people and see that they're using their phones. Uh, but I think it's what we're gonna. What's gonna alert us more is actually seeing you doing that, holding that phone up, and 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 doing that. And that's gonna be an obvious violation. That so we're it's, it's more that, like if you're looking, you know, maybe it's up to the officer's discretion. But if you're touching your phone, if you're clearly manipulating it, like that's probably they're gonna pull you. Yeah, over. that's very obvious. Now, you know, if you're looking down and you're weaving all over the road, we're gonna stop. Yeah, you. I mean, you know, sure. because you're obviously not paying attention to the road. So, yeah, it is, it's a lot of officer discretion, but I think, you know, if you're being obvious about it, yeah, you're definitely going to get stopped. And uh, the fine is, uh, I think I read uh, $200 or so. It's uh, $50 for the first offense. Okay. And I think it goes up from there. Okay. So, but you've got pretty court good deterrent. Costs. Yeah, you get court costs tacked on that too, so. <laughs> what, what do you recommend? A good opportunity. I get to ask the chief directly here. Do you recommend the, uh, my wife bought me one of the dashboard, like suction cup things, and, but I've had other people say, no, you need to go Bluetooth with the earpiece. Well, you know, the Bluetooth that runs through your car is really nice, and you can get an aftermarket radio to do that with. And, mm-hmm. and I, I'm techno- technologically challenged, so I've had to learn to use mine. But I've, over the past month, I've been using it more and more. So, yeah, it's, it's just being careful not to touch that phone, not to, you know, not to be texting, I think, is the worst thing you can do is to be texting. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, the marijuana issue? Uh, legalization seems to be slowly becoming a re- reality all across America. Um, I know you don't make the law, but is there a feeling among local law enforcement, uh, not only here in East Tennessee, but but elsewhere? I'm sure you talk to other chiefs around the state that um, that's the way we're headed in Tennessee, too? Well, we hope not. And that's one of the things that, that I've become involved in since being a chief is, is legislative issues and actually okay. going. And, and I didn't deal with the marijuana issue this year, um, but we have I belong to the Tennessee Association of Chiefs of Police, and, and, and we did lobby against that. It's it's still federally recognized as a drug, and it's, it, you know, when you take an oath of office to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the laws of the state of Tennessee, so you know where do you go with that that creates some friction in 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 an officer's mind uh just on that basis so you know it's it's hard because i've got especially for somebody like me i've grown up where marijuana is illegal it's wrong Mm -hmm. you don't do it um and the younger generation and you know in other states especially people who have lived in other states come and they're like well what's wrong with it yeah so it's it's a tough spot to be in (laughs) i remember uh i was doing radio 10 years or so ago and uh, we had this this listener uh, to one of our music stations. He was from California, and he had gotten pulled over uh, smoking 
dope in his car or something. He's like, I couldn't believe it. Uh, back in California, they just let this. And I was like, you ain't in California anymore, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's frowned upon. Yeah. I, I was in uh, Chicago, like I was telling you about a month ago, and that was front page news. I think that they had uh, changed that law. Um, like you're saying, I imagine for officers who have been, you know, um, for for a long time, like this is just a major part of, 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 of crime arresting is, you know, marijuana possession that, uh, that must be a, an incredible change to make. It's just, well, we're going to, you know, look the other way on it's, that now. It's almost a culture change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can't imagine it'd be hard to go through. So any other, uh, big, big issues facing the, the KPD that, uh, you're, that are going through your desk right now? Well, one thing we're really excited about is, is we're actually exploring uh, the uh, um, act- using moving our department over to the old uh, St. Mary's Tonova North site. Really? And so that's where we're actually in uh, the due diligence series, uh, area of doing that. We're working with a designer to see if that site will work for us. The off near Fulton High School? Yes. Okay. Yes. So what would it, uh, this build? How long has the department been in this building? Since 1969. Okay. 69. 69, yes. We're downtown Knoxville right next to the Coliseum here. Right. What would become of this building? Do you know? Uh, right. Last I heard, uh, Mr. Clayton, Jim Clayton, was wanting to put a science museum on this site. That's right. Okay. Yes, I, so. I had heard that. Yes. So. Okay. Thanks for jogging my memory. Yeah. So um, is that something, are, are you guys out of space here? Do you need more? We are out of space. We're okay. actually spread throughout the city. We have our, our East District is actually, actually located up in uh, Short Fountain City on Mineral Springs. And so that's where they do roll calls and the East District officers actually work out of that site, which is kind of neat to be out in that community. But it's also difficult because they're away from us. So uh-huh. we do something called a mass roll call once a week where we have a roll call with everybody in the city in, in this building. Um, but we have other units. Our safety education unit is actually out off this site. We have we have our animal control unit and our forensic unit that are off on Fifth Avenue because we have run out of space. And so the, the facility, uh, the old St. Mary's Hospital would We'd bring everybody much in. bigger? Yes, we bring everybody in. The fire department would be there. I think the pension board um fire department pension board i'm missing somebody oh city court city court would be with us there as well okay what's uh what's something about kpd most knoxvillians would be surprised to learn surprised to hear or know wow we are so open i don't know (laughs) (laughs) ask us anything you know we're, we're glad to help out with anything we can um you know we're just you know, we want to be open, and, and of course, the big buzzword now is transparency, so we try and put everything out there that we can, you know, our policies and procedures and the way we do business, and, and we love to come talk to people. We hit every community meeting we can think of that we were aware of, so. You still get to drive a cop car? I, I actually have an unmarked car, but I have blue lights and siren, yeah. so uh, I travel Alcoa Highway every day and surprise some people as I really? see them doing things that are not right, so yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you still uh, pull folks over? Yeah. When was the last time you did that? It's got to be pretty egregious. Oh, it's been probably at least a month ago. Okay. Yeah. It's got to be something where you're just like, I, yeah. I'm, I know I'm the chief and I have a big budget meeting, but that guy just flew across three lanes and he's doing exactly. 20 miles over the speed limit. I can't yeah. let this stand. Somebody who's going to cause a wreck or cause somebody <laughs> to be hurt for sure. Yeah. So if I, if I fly past you on the interstate, it's... Uh, I might get pulled you over by Chief it. Thomas. Yes, you may. You may. Okay. Well, um, Chief Thomas is a great 
to meet you, as I said. Uh, Thank thanks you. for sitting down with me. It's very informative. Uh, you Family, uh, you've got, uh, is it two kids, I think? I do. I have okay. a 17-year-old and a 20-year-old, and, and my husband and I have been married for 32 years, and, and proud of that. Everybody and doing well. Yes, yes, doing well. My oldest son's at UT, and, and youngest is in high school, and, and they're they're doing great, too, so I'm proud of them. Excellent. Well, thanks again for doing this. Very informative and uh, really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, folks, there you have it. Chief Eve Thomas of the Knoxville Police Department. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. As always, you can send me feedback via a voice message right now from wherever you're listening. All you got to do is tap the link in my show notes. And as always, if you really love the show, you can throw in a little something extra in the offering plate. Just go to anchor.fm, search out Russell Smith podcast and show a little love. I'd greatly appreciate it. Not sure when the next episode will drop, but keep your eyes and ears peeled. Be sure to follow me on Twitter and Facebook. I'm at Russell triple underscore Smith on Twitter and then Facebook we've got a, a, a page for the radio show it's facebook.com forward slash the drive with Russell Smith check out the drive weekdays from three to six on Fox Sports Knoxville all right there you have it until next time this is Russell Smith signing off y'all be good